Amen. Well, can you hear me? Not sure. Going to try this again? Yeah, that sounds like it might be on. Is that good? Can you hear me? Great. The Lord is good. His faithfulness continues to all generations. I'm thankful today for the goodness of our Lord, and I love him today. If you love the Lord today, say amen. amen. He is worthy of our praise, and I'm just thrilled for what God is doing. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at a few verses of Scripture there together. Today we conclude our sermon series entitled Mission Possible over the last uh, really five weeks. It's been a few more weeks than that, but over the last five weeks I've been able to share with you um, just some examples of places throughout Scripture that God calls us to live really far beyond our ability to do it on our own, and yet he calls us to that and he says, you know what, if you believe and trust in me that I'm able to work in this way in your life, I'm going to do some incredible Incredible things for you, and what we feel like is impossible, God, what we feel like is impossible, God can do the possible, right? He can make it possible in our life. If you're glad for that this morning, say amen. And I'm thankful this morning to have heard reports over these last few weeks about people who have said, you know what, I've trusted God and he is answering the, these prayers in my life. And so it's been so encouraging to hear that as well. And so I'm glad today just to remind you once again that there is nothing impossible for the God that we serve. He is able to do all things. Amen? And so let's continue to believe that this morning. And today his mission, as I've shared with you some different missions over the last few weeks, his mission, if you choose to accept it, is to live victoriously. To live victoriously. Think about this with me this morning. God wants you to live a life of victory. God wants you to live a life of victory, so much so that he weighed a way for you to move from being defeated to being victorious. God sent his son Jesus to do what you could never do on your own. He sent Jesus to do what you could never do on your own, to win the battle over sin and death. And as a result of Christ's victory over sin and death, he has gifted victory to you. You have the gift of victory today. It's yours through Jesus Christ. And Paul shares that good news with us here in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's in that context that I want you to hear these words, some that may be familiar to you. But think about that. We have victory in Jesus. Here's how Paul shares it. But God being rich in mercy. Now we read right over that. But Paul uses this description of God. But God being rich in mercy. He doesn't just say God being merciful. He says God being rich in mercy. I remind you that mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. If you're glad today that God has been merciful to you and not given you what you deserve, say amen. And he doesn't do it just a little bit. God being rich in mercy, abundant in mercy. Think about that. But God being rich in mercy because of his love. No, because of his great love which he, with which he loved us even we, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been 
saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wish I could unpack this a little more for you today, but catch this. He starts out by reminding us even when you were dead in your trespasses. Even when you were dead, okay? So we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And God, because of his mercy and his love for us, he reaches out to us when we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And he makes us what? Alive in Christ Jesus. We have been born, if we've accepted Christ, we've been raised from death to life in Christ and seated in the heavenly realms with him. We've gone from one extreme, dead to the dead, dead, dead. Right? To seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you're thankful for that transformation work of Christ, say amen. amen. That is what he wants to do in our lives. He's describing us to it. Paul is describing it to us using the, the greatest words that he can use, right? Because he's experienced this. By grace you have been saved and raised up and seated with him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. If mercy is not getting what we deserve, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is getting what we could never earn, Right? By grace you have been saved. Not because you deserved it, but just because Jesus loves you that much. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to see the lot here today. But here's the truth I want you to catch. Salvation from God is a gift. It's a gift to us. We are gifted victory in Jesus, a gift for you. And all you have to do is receive the gift. I heard a story recently about thousands of people who live in the Himalayan region. And these people cannot see because of cataracts on their eyes. If you've had cataract surgery and you're not embarrassed by it, would you raise your hand? If you're thankful for how well you can see as a result, say amen. <laughs> right? So you know, not all of us know, but all of us know somebody who has had this done and, and, then, and then shared about how remarkable the surgery is. Well, these people who live in the Himalayan region, up until just a few years ago, they've been forced to live blind because the surgery that's readily available to us isn't available, wasn't available to them until just a few years ago. And I want you to just hear a brief story about this work that's being done there to give the gift of sight to these people and notice how they celebrate. Watch with me. There are currently 18 million people on our planet who are suffering in total blindness who could have perfect sight restored with cataract surgery. Blindness is one of the largest impediments to progress in the poorest communities. It's a huge burden and devastating not just to the individual but to their family and to the whole community. Blindness will take a child out of school or an able-bodied person out of the workforce to care for the blind person. From the first time I saw the miracle of cataract surgery on a totally blind patient, I, I realized that there's nothing else I can think of 
in the realm of medicine that is as cost-effective that we can do and actually really change lives instantaneously. On a typical day in a high-volume cataract program, we'll often restore sight to 200 people. And it's just so exciting just seeing the changes and they recognize their children, their grandchildren. People often erupt into a spontaneous ululation. And the joy just comes through. There's no other concomitant eye disease 90% of the patients will see well enough to pass the American driver's test the day after surgery. Patches come off and it takes a couple of seconds to realize that they're seeing what they're seeing. And then there's this unbelievable smile. Wow, right? I mean, you watch that, yeah, right? You celebrate that, right? Do you see the change? I mean, the celebration, I've watched that, to be honest, I've watched it probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 times, because the one guy who erupts, right, in celebrating, I mean, think about that, you're blind, and now all of a sudden you can, you can see the victory that comes into this person's life, thinking they would never see again, and now all of a sudden they're seeing clearly the victory that comes, all because they received the gift that was given. I want you to see this morning that we can receive a victory that's far greater than physical sight. As amazing as that is, we can receive a gift. We can receive our spiritual sight, spiritual freedom today. We can live victoriously and should celebrate, right? First, by accepting salvation from God. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm glad this morning that God looked down through history, through the path of time long ago, and he saw you, and he saw me, and he saw our greatest need. Jesus knew where we were spiritually, that we were spiritually blind, and would need our sight restored. And so he made a way for us to be able to see. He made a way for us to be able to live free from sin, and free from the, from the, from the mistakes of the past, free from spiritual blindness. Jesus provided victory by surrendering himself to the plan of God to come to this earth and to give his life as a sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. Aren't you glad? Jesus came to give us victory, and it's possible for us to live in victory today if we'll just open our heart and our mind to receive the free gift of grace and forgiveness that God extends to us through Jesus. You see, we, we receive it today by just believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, that his blood was shed for us. All we have to do is believe upon that, open our heart to him, and accept the forgiveness that he gives us. We don't work for it. We don't earn it in some way. We simply believe and receive his grace and forgiveness. If you're glad for that this morning, say amen. It is so very simple. And when we do, Paul tells us what happens in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Think about that. No blame, no disapproval, no criticism, but instead pardon and release and freedom. And we receive our spiritual sight to see and experience things that we've never been able to see and experience before, all because Jesus Christ has done the work for us. 
And we just have to make the choice to accept his gift, to open our heart to him. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it put, puts it in such a plain way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's so simple this morning. Living victoriously begins there by receiving this free gift of salvation, by opening our heart to Jesus Christ. But the choice is yours. These Himalayan people that we watched this morning, right? I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. We celebrate with them. We don't know them, but we celebrate with them. But at one point, they hear. They heard about this miracle of receiving their sight, right? They heard about the possibility of receiving their sight. They heard the fact that, hey, it's free. All you have to do, all you have to do is go and what? Go and receive. All you have to do is go and put yourself in a position to receive this free gift. And in that moment, they had a choice to make. Will I go and receive or will I stay where I am? Will I continue to live in blindness? Now for us, that, that the lack of decision in that situation seems absolutely ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, why in the world would you not receive, right, in this situation? Can I just tell you this morning that Jesus Christ, he paid the price on the cross for your sin and my sin, period. The price has been paid. If you believe that, say amen. All we have to do is put ourselves in a position to receive it. All we have to do is put ourselves in a position to accept the gift that Jesus give, wants to give us by his grace. We have to make the choice to live victoriously this morning. But it doesn't end there. The reality is that God desires that we live victoriously even after we're saved and set free. So how do we live an ongoing victory? How do we continue to live in victory, right, after we've been saved? And that is this, by accepting entire sanctification from God as a gift. Verse 10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. The Greek word translated workmanship here means that which is made or something that's manufactured, that's built, that's put together, right? In other words, our, our conversion is not the end. Our conversion, as we accept Christ as our Savior, our conversion is just the beginning of the work of grace of God in our life. He continues to create and mold and build and work in us and change us to be more like Him. If you're glad He's still working on you today, say amen. I'm glad he's still working on me. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Notice it doesn't say a new life is completed. It says a new life has begun. It has started. God continues to mold us and shape us and to make us into what he wants us to be. Remember this morning that God's purpose... God's purpose in your life, for your life, is not to make you happy. I mean, it's okay to be happy. And it's okay to be joyful. But sometimes I hear people say something like this, well, God wants me to be happy, so I need to do things that are going to make me happy. I have to remind you today that God's primary purpose in your life is not to make you happy. 
His primary purpose for your life is to make you holy. And that means there's going to be some incredible mountaintop days. And we're going to be happy and joyful. But we're also going to walk through some difficult times in our life where God is going to do the work of refining us and shaping us and molding us and changing us. And on those days, while we can't say it's a joy-happy day, that's a saying around my house these days, hey, let's have a joy-happy day, kids. Joy-happy day. It's a choice, right? I could choose to be happy even, even when things are tough, right? But it's a choice. Through those difficult times, God wants to refine us and make us holy, make us more like Christ. That's what, really what holiness is about. It's, it's about, Lord, I, I want to be more like you every single day of my life. I want you to shape me and mold me. I have to remind you today that conversion, being coming saved, is not the only important experience in our Christian walk. After salvation... God wants to continue to grow us and change us. An example of this would be the resurrection of Lazarus. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said these words. Lazarus, come out of the grave. He said, loose him and let him go. Right? Take off the, the grave clothes. Loose him and let him go. This man is alive. Get him out of the grave clothes that he's in. We are alive in Christ as we accept him as our Savior, but now we have to get out of the grave clothes, so to speak. And Paul kind of speaks to that idea in Ephesians chapter 4, if we move on from where we are, on down to chapter 4, verse 22. For you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I have to remind you today that the same resurrection power of Jesus Christ that has saved you, the same resurrection power that took you out of the graveyard of sin and gave you a new life, a new life has begun. That same resurrection power can purify you, can sanctify you, can continue to help you change day by day by day and become more like Him. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we desire for Him to continue that work in us. And the wonderful thing about it is, it's a gift of God's grace. As we seek it, as we desire him to continue to change our hearts, it's his work of grace in our life day by day by day. You see, what happens is so often after we're saved, we still find ourselves struggling at times. Find ourselves struggling at times with the same issues. Things like selfish desires, selfish attitudes, um, we find ourselves committing situations or circumstances to God and then picking them back up and trying to manipulate and work them out the way we want them to work out in our own lives, trying to control them. And we sense the Holy Spirit whispering to us, hey, I want to handle this for you. I want to help you. I want to be with you. I want to provide wisdom here. And yet, instead of really receiving that, what we try to do is we try to handle it in our own power and our own strength. And instead of living in victory and in peace, we live in stress and defeat and turmoil. And i got to remind you again what I'm talking about. This is after we're saved. A lot of times we find ourselves still living in stress and defeat and turmoil. If you know that that's true, whisper an amen. A lot of times we do. We pick these things back up. Selfish desires get in the way. I want to show you something that might be just a little academic, so forgive me, and I'm going to work through it really quick. If you can put that chart up on the, on the screen, please. I've showed this to you a long time ago, but I think it's so important. I go through it in membership class, each one that we have, and it's just a simple thing. 
But you see the star there by B, right? B, that's the work of, of forgiveness in our life. Salvation. B is where we accept Christ as our Savior. And you notice A is out before that. <laughs> that's the provenient grace of God. Aren't you thankful when you were dead in your trespasses and sin that he didn't leave you there? But that somehow Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, began to reach out to you and remind you of his love and goodness and mercy and grace even before you knew him? Aren't you glad for that? That's what A represents there. He draws us to himself, and we come to a place where finally we receive the gift and we lay our heart down. But notice that the work doesn't stop there, but the growth continues. Now, in my opinion, I didn't put this chart together. I stole it. But in my opinion, this line of growth from B to D should look more, a lot more like this. Because we have lots of ups and downs as we're growing in our walk with him, don't we? Just be honest this morning. You know, I wish it was just a straight, flat line up, but a lot of times we struggle, right? Well, we're growing in the grace that God has shed, but by the time we get to D, here's what D is. D is a moment in time where we say, you know what, God? I'm sick and tired of trying to live this Christian life on my own. I'm sick and tired of trying to still work through these problems and situations and manipulate things, and I'm tired of my sinful desires and nature always tempting me to do the wrong thing and, and, and me falling back into that. Things like picking up control again. Things like desiring to, to have my own way all the time. Remember, we're Christian, but we can still, as a Christian, desire to have our own way all the time. Until we get to a place where we get so tired of living that way that we completely and totally surrender ourselves to God. And we say, God, I'm so tired of trying to do this on my own. I need you. And we have an experience there. We call it in the Church of the Nazarene entire sanctification with that moment where the Holy Spirit comes and fills our heart completely and we surrender ourselves completely to God and we say, God, I want you to fill all of me and I, I, I just want you to take every area of my life and I want it to belong to you. Total and complete surrender. If you've experienced that in your life, say amen. But notice that in that moment as we surrender ourselves to God and we receive that gift of his grace, again, it's coming to him and saying, God, I, I want you to do this in my life, but can I just tell you that when Jesus died on the cross, his greatest desire was not just to save us, but to make us like him. And there's a work of grace that is reserved for us in that moment. But notice it continues to grow. In other words, even in that moment where we say, God, I want you to have all of me, guess what? We continue to grow and become more like him day by day by day. Why? New situations are going to come your way in the next week and the next month that, that you don't even know to surrender to God right now. And in those moments, those new situations, guess what? You're going to have a choice to make. Am I going to surrender this to God or am I going to try to work this out on my own? That's why we continue to grow and become more and more and more like him. God has given us victory over sin, and he wants to give us victory over self. He wants to give us victory over self, and what we have to do is say, Lord, would you purify? Would you sanctify my heart? I believe that with all my heart that he can remove the selfish desires, and he can pour into us a perfect love that will enable us to love like only God can love and give us desires that'll be pure in his desires. Christ so that died so that we could be saved and so that we could be sanctified, so we could have complete victory in him. Over the past uh, couple of years, some of you know you've prayed for her, but my mom has struggled with her heart going out of rhythm. 
and they put her on medication, and they, and they tried a lot of different things initially to try to get, this, get her heart to stay in rhythm, come back in rhythm. And, and, and finally, her doctor said, you know, we've tried a lot of different things, but what I think you're going to need is um, you're going to need what they call a heart ablation, a catheter ablation. And uh, the plan was this. The cardiologist would, um, she would go in like for a heart, like, almost like for a heart cath, but the cardiologist would insert kind of two cables into her heart via blood vessels. One was a camera, but the other was an ablation tool. And if you don't know what ablation means, it simply means to burn. So she's got all these misfires going on in her heart. And so the goal was to go in and begin to burn these area, these cells that are misfiring and, and to get her heart beating in rhythm once again. Uh, author Max Lucado, he went through a similar situation himself, and he describes uh, the conversation that he had with his doctor in, in one of his books. The dialogue went something like this. Max said, so doc, you're burning the interior of my heart, right? The doctor said, that's correct. You intend to kill the misbehaving cells in my heart, correct? He said, that's right. He said, as long as you're in there, doc, as long as you're in there, could you take your little blowtorch and could you do some work on greed and selfishness and the desire to control and guilt? The doctor smiled and just simply said, sorry, Max, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> it's above the doctor's pay grade, but it's not above God's pay grade. See, very simply, this is the work that God wants to do in our hearts. This is the work. This is the work that God wants to do to change our hearts to be more like him. His tool is grace. His tool is the ability to extend grace to you that you don't realize, really realize that exists. Just like the grace at salvation that changes us and we feel the relief from the past. And, and you see, I mean, I have literally seen people respond almost like the guy responded on there with such joy in their hearts because of the freedom that comes from being released from the weight of sin. Can I tell you that God can do the same work in our hearts and lives, transforming us more into his image as we surrender our heart to him and say, God, I need your help with this selfishness. I need your help with this greed. I need your help with this desire to always be in control of everything. God, I need you to do a work in my life that will make me more like you. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, and I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. Notice what purifies. And I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. And they will call upon name and I will answer them and I will say, these are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God, deep heart change is possible. To get our heart in a right spiritual rhythm. God's will, not mine. It's up to us. It's a gift of his grace. And what we have to do is come and say, God, I want you to work in this way in my life. Just as my mom could have said, hey, you know, doc, that sounds great. I mean, by the way, when the doctor did that, her heart has been back in rhythm and she's doing great. But she could have made the choice and said, you know, Doc, it all sounds great, but you know what? I don't think that's for me. And we look at that and we say, why would you do that? The same way we would look at people who could have this cataract and, and, and just step back away from that surgery to give them sight, right? Why would you do that? And I look at us today and say, why would you not accept the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers you? Why would you not accept the gift of making you more into the image of Christ, the gift of sanctification that, that Christ offers you today? 
Why would you not come and say, God, I'm so tired of trying to do this on my own. I need you. I want you to know today that I wish that the veil of heaven could be pulled back and we could see Jesus standing before us today. See, his Holy Spirit is here and you sense that. But I wish we could see Jesus standing before us today just simply saying, come, let me work in your life. Let me make you new. Let me help you be what I'm calling you to be. It's not impossible. It's possible. We can live victoriously in Jesus Christ right now, today. If we'll open our heart to the gift that he gives us. I'd like for you to stand with me if you would this morning. Pastor Nathan's going to come. Would you bow your heads with me, Father? We're thankful this morning for your presence. Even more thankful are we for the gift that you promised to give us, the gift of salvation, the gift of holiness, Lord Jesus. You want to make us more like you, and you want to empower us, enable us to live the life that you've called us to live. But that's all a work of your grace in our lives. And our responsibility is simply to just come and put ourselves in a position to receive. And so my prayer this morning is that you would help us to just come and say, here I am, Lord, here's my heart. Would you do a work in me? I have a belief upon you, my faith is in you. By coming we say that. Lord, that your grace would be extended to us in ways we've never experienced before because we trust you today. We love you, Lord. As your heads are bowed this morning and as we take a moment to open the altars, Lord, you're, you're welcome to come forward and kneel and pray or come and stand or be seated, however you feel comfortable. But I'd really love for you to come and just seek the Lord. If you sense him speaking to your heart this morning, come and seek him and receive from him today. As Nathan sings, would you come?